Everybody's building empires, building walls high in the name of glory. Everybody's hanging high wires. It's a fine line. It's an age-old story. The first will be the last, and the last will be kings. The small will be great, and the great will be weak. Everybody's building empires, but it's our time. This is a kingdom. Sponsorship Studios, this is Buddy Walk with Jesus, where real life and the kingdom of God connect. Now, your hosts, Joe and Edgar. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for all the mysteries you reveal to us, Father. I pray right now for each and every listener that they would feel your manifest presence flowing over them and knowing, letting them know that they're loved, Father, that they would see that no matter how the day has gone, you have loved them through it. You have called them through it. 
and you adore them through it, Father. Things only a God can do. I thank you for this opportunity that we have for fellowship to gather, to listen to testimonies, to listen to answers and questions, and find out how you invade our lives, Father, and make it new, something that we never thought possible you're able to do. We thank you for this opportunity, and we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, welcome back to another episode of Buddy Walk with Jesus. Um, I want to say a special hello to those of you that are joining us uh, out of India. Um, we recently joined a couple of the major directories in India, and so we are um, seeing that the numbers from that part of the world are absolutely going up, and so a special welcome. Um, as always, want you to know two things. You are prayed for. You are loved deeply. Um, this week, we've got a special episode. Um, this is one that I've been particularly excited for. Um, this guy has one heck of a story to tell, and um, the uh, next contender for best beard on the podcast. I've been the long-running champ of that, but but Mike here has got me beat. So we have Mike Savage here from the Savage Perspective podcast, and um, is an author and speaker and teacher as well. How wait, 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 wait! I'm a little disappointed because before Mike joined, I had the second best beard. <laughs> Mike. What are you doing to me? Well, I'll tell you this. <clears throat> My beard is a lot shorter than it used to be. I play guitar, and uh, I had the rare experience of having my beard caught in the upper E string on a particular vigorous downstroke and uh, recommitted my life to Christ at that point in time and also resolved my beard will never get close to an E string again on a guitar. <laughs> so did you let out a high C when you did that? No, I may have used some prison words, though. I will tell you that. <laughs> Listening to your show, what I've heard and everything, um, man, the the personality mixed with the lack of lack of fear to touch on some some sensitive topics um, just really explodes off the page, and I think it's something that um, it can become very easy for us as Christians to avoid the the messier points of life. I think you're right. I mean. One of the things that I've, I've determined as a Christian, for me, and this is just for me, I think that people can come to Jesus in a variety of ways. You know, he had 12 disciples, not just one. A lot of ways to get to him. He's the only way to the Father, but a lot of ways to get to him. And mine's through relationship. And I don't mean the Christianese relationship, you know, you need to be in relationship with the Lord. Not that, but rather the idea that uh, my Father loves me. You know, yeah, he loves everybody. I get it, but he loves me. And so he's not going to punish me for if I make a mistake, he's going to correct me. And so whatever I have to go through in life is coming from a loving father. And I wanted that kind of relationship. I want to be able to talk to him like a dad as opposed to, oh, holy, righteous God, which he is, but he's also my dad. So relationship's important to me. That's that's the deal of, of really recognizing him as my father and at my advanced age. Uh, that that was a little difficult to to grasp, but I got it, and so that's that's why the savage perspective is you know there's going to be some humor because 
other than God and my wife, I think everything else is hilarious. Okay. There's a lot of stuff that I just find a lot of, you know, <laughs> oh, that brother's going to stab you in the back, you know, and I was in prison where they really did that. So, I mean, let's not, let's not get metaphorical and have me worry about what somebody said about me on Facebook or Twitter. As long as God's pleased with me, I'm happy. That is a beautiful point of view to have. We've been coming off of a couple of episodes where we've been exploring the character of God. You know, I posed a couple, a couple of episodes back two questions. Do you really know God? And the second question being, do you trust God? Those are two very, very different things. Oh, yeah. You know, we've talked about um, the two groups, the two main groups of Christians, the, um, the ones that kind of grew up in the church and had that strong Christian household, and then the people who lived a good portion of their life pre without Christ, and then later on come it's there's a there's a special kind of beauty when you look at the concept of redemption mm. and what just what is power or what is possible rather through the father no uh, <laughs> what what isn't possible our dad is the creator and sustainer of all things he wrote that Jesus Christ holds everything together, which at one point also explains his omnipresence because he can be everywhere at the same time because he's holding everything together. But the, the, the idea that I am in relationship, I'm the son, the adopted son of the creator and sustainer of all things. If there's a bill that's going to be late, I think he can handle that for me. I think he can do whatever, or maybe he wants the bill late. And But either way, the, 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 the relationship is with the creator and sustainer of all things. What isn't possible with God? Well, he can do anything and, and does at, at his will, but for our good, which still staggers me that, that we're, we really have a father that's that way. A lot of the guys that I knew, well, let me just tell about me. I, I grew up uh, going to a, a Baptist church. Southern Baptist Church in, in in Florida, which you know Baptist Church, I I wasn't paying any attention. I was a kid, you know. I was thinking about football, you know. I yeah, we went to the sermon. Okay, that was great. Everybody shook hands. That was it. We didn't see anybody for the rest of the week, you know. That which was cool, you know. Then my dad became a deacon, uh, whatever that meant to me as a kid, and so I had to go to a thing called I think it's called Royal Ambassadors. Do they still have that? You know, Royal Ambassadors. I've never heard of it. Yeah, it was it was a yeah. youth group. Maybe it's just a local thing where you know a bunch of like-minded kids who really didn't give a rip about learning theology or about Jesus or any of that other stuff sat around you know for an hour and then went home i never got it i i wasn't in my wheelhouse to understand it i i didn't pray until i got in trouble when i got in trouble even though i didn't believe i'm praying up a storm i guarantee you that i'm saying you know our father our as fast as i can as many times repetitively you know Telling God how great he is, you know, you know how it is. We're trying to bribe God to get what you want. And but it wasn't until I actually was broken down by God that I believed and understood. But I mean I was I was one of those kids that just went to the pew sitter. I could care less about what else was going on. Yeah. I think that's that's true for a lot of kids. There's so much of what you just said that like I'm breaking my neck in in agreement <laughs> with you. Cause that's that's how it is sometimes. You know, you grow up hearing it. And just because you hear it doesn't mean that it means anything or makes any kind of sense. I also grew up in the Baptist church. 
and I was a, a filler in a pew because my mom uh, taught um, Sunday school. Mm. And so it was just one of those things you did every week and that's that. So, so you came from a religious family. So tell us a bit about how you got to, you know, did you grow up did, having any kind of, did before you went to prison, was there any kind of inclination towards God at all? Was the, oh, no. the pump primed at all? Oh yeah, no, no, none, none at all. There was no, there was no, okay, I just need to remember what I learned when they were pasting the little lamb on the on the wall at, at Sunday school to, to understand what's going on. None of that. I didn't understand any of what was religious, theology, any of that at all. Um, and it wasn't until two years into my 15-year prison sentence that God broke me down. Those first two years, it was about, you know, big guy in prison. Uh, you know, I worked in the kitchen, so I had access to yeast. I made pruno, which was alcohol for uh, to sell on the compound. I was the, the guy who made book on football games and baseball games and basketball games. I had it, I had it going on in the kitchen. I mean, I was, I was, I was a doing fine never got in trouble never went to the hole you know solitary confinement none of that happened until i got saved then when i get saved suddenly i'm like persona non grata with the guards he must be up to something so i'm ending up under investigation in solitary confinement and i'm saying to god look dude really <laughs> come on i'm not doing you could have gotten me the first two years but dude right now i mean I, i'm 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 working at the chapel Going to seminary, I'm trying to learn everything I can about God. I'm reading, I'm reading commentaries. I read the entire Word Biblical Commentary series. All right, didn't understand a lot of it, but I read it. I you read young, <laughs> you young men are up to no good reading theology. We can oh, tell. Oh man, when I brought home Calvin or to sell the Calvin's Institutes, oh my gosh, and then Thomas Aquinas. Huh. And for a while, I brought the Quran back to compare and look back and forth and different versions of the Bible and. All the, this guy's got to be up to no good, right? Yeah, you hit every outlier benchmark, probably. <laughs> well, yeah. I, you know, I guess, but it was one of the things that God was showing me was, you know, perseverance. Are you going to keep serving? Are you can keep studying. I mean, look, a lot of people put down seminary. I get it. Oh, he went to cemetery. He thinks he knows everything, right? Well, you can't call it cemetery. Seminary, dude. And second of all, at least I'm trying to figure out what's going on with God. This was my, my, you have to write these papers and you have to put them into uh, MLA format, Turabian format. Yeah. You have to do all, all, okay, all right, I'm doing discipline. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm not growing spiritually, but I'm getting a lot of knowledge from different points of view. And a lot of people don't think they get a chance to do that, but I did. And yeah, so me, I, I love doing that. Let me ask you a question. When you were doing all this formatting, were you using a computer or a typewriter? I was writing it out by hand. And by hand, it, oh my goodness. And sending wow. it out to my wife who had it typed wow. up and sent in. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I have a question for you. I'm, I, maybe it's a, it's a, I don't know if it's an a question you've had before, but I, it popped into my head, so I'm gonna let it out for a run. Go. As, as, during your time in prison, you know, before salvation and after salvation, did Christians reach out during both times? And if so, how did you respond to it? Like before, were you like, yeah, I want the interaction or no, I don't really want to hear it. And then afterwards, were you more receptive or you still 
or no, I shouldn't say still, or were you less receptive to Christianity? Because sometimes people can react differently than expected. And I say this for a reason, so to give you some context, I, um, I was able to be involved in a letter writing ministry to, to prisoners, um, and the guys wrote to guys, and then the women wrote to women. Um, and it was a great year and a half that I did it, but I moved to North Carolina and my life completely turned upside down. It's still kind of upside down. But how would that, how was that for you as far as interacting with uh, Christians? I didn't get any letters. Um, no one reached out to me um, or anything. But look, I was kind of a pariah in our community. I mean, I was this, you know, supposedly upstanding guy. and. All of a sudden, the the feds come in, and I'm a criminal mastermind, and this and that, and organized crime task force, FBI, IRS, all these people. Come. So I was pretty much a pariah. There was no one's going to be writing me from 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 where I was living at the time. Um, and then once I was in, no one knew me, you know. So they didn't know that. Now they would have volunteers come in on occasion, and I okay. Let me just. There was one volunteer, uh, name of Bert Langdon great man of God. He's gone on to be with the Lord right now. And he had this, this faith that I was changing, going to change. And he would just sit down and talk to me when the other groups would come in. Cause I was in charge of the, the chapel as chapel clerk. So I had to go to all the services and it wasn't like I could avoid going. I always had to go and watch and see what was going. It was always the same thing. You know, the guys would preach, somebody would come up and say, yeah, you know, but for the grace of God, I could be there with you. And I would think, oh, so God loves you more than he loves me because I'm, I'm stuck here. Or somebody, I have done something much worse. And Yeah, okay. So, you know, and so I'm the idiot. I was just taking it all wrong. I was, telling me I was taking it all the wrong way. It was probably the best of intentions. But it was always the same thing. Groups would come in. They'd sing songs. Oh, let's all stand and sing Father Abraham. Well, nobody trying to sing Father Abraham in a federal penitentiary or a federal correctional institute. Nobody's trying to hear that. But they would do it, and then every time a new group of volunteers would come in, same guys would go up and get saved all over again. All right, it was the same thing. And I asked one guy about it. He says, well, I want him to feel good about coming in. But this one guy saw me, and he saw what I was going through, and he came and he talked to me. And he would talk to me every time they came in about my life, what was going on with him, all that kind of stuff. So there was one person that really affected me. Now, other guys loved volunteers coming in. I don't know if it was a federal institution that you were writing to, but I've never heard of the, you know, writing to, to federal inmates before because we were kind of a special group. You are going to do 85% of your time. You weren't going to get any extra good time for going to church services, getting a degree in, in prison. You weren't going to get anything extra. There was no conjugal visits. There was nothing happening. Right? There was no incentive to be good other than you can do more than 85%. So there was no Christian outreach that was really available to do something like that with me and, and i don't know how receptive i would have been early on right well i definitely wrote to state prisons because that's the mailing address so i i can see where there may be a difference between the th the uh two levels and you know and i'm in all the mail is checked for code or whatever right. Right. that's gone but um just before we we before I even knew that we were going to be talking this topic, but always in scripture, I've always seen that the Lord has a benchmark, and He talks about the prisoners. If you've given, um, taking care of the prisoners, if you've given cold water, you know, this you've done it unto me. So He equates Himself with a prisoner, but the church has 
fallen far short of that measurement and how do we get there and and i think the simplicity of what he pictures is something that's missing like letter writing i think is a great way to interact with people and one guy in particular said he had to he got one envelope and all his letters had to fit in that envelope so he would cut out portions he wanted to keep so that he could keep it in the envelope everything else had to be gotten rid of wow. so this is how important that is so the church we ourselves have not done a good job about ministering to people in prison that's always been a thought that i've had you know i've been in the in the as a youth went to the bowery mission for homelessness it was always something that we did we fed the poor back then and everything i don't have that opportunity now as much i don't see the churches doing it more and that may be just because life has gotten busy or something but we've stepped away from taking care of all of society so my my thought is how can we and and i and i just looked at some scriptures today that talk about prison prisoners and there is a heart of god for them like um i got three up here let me see which one like Psalm 69:33 says, "For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own his own people who are prisoners." Psalm 146:7 says, "Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free." And then Hebrews 13:3, "Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. So that is not God saying, you know, those prisoners deserve whatever they got. You know, you're to um, judge them, you're to put them down, you're to make them feel bad. All that is saying God's heart is with them. So I I'm not sure why I'm saying that other than there's just a big distance between um the American church, I don't know how it is in other countries and prison prisoners um in our country do you have any thoughts on that or anything that you could do that offer up that might i want to say get the ball rolling for some people you know that's that's a a question i have often wanted to be asked but you know far be it for me to suggest to people you know here's a question you really ought to ask me but here's here's the deal um in my opinion and one i i try not to criticize anybody's church the church in general mm-hmm. you know that's dad's dad's got that i'll do what he wants me to do i try not to, i try i i never do the drive by evangelism on facebook or twitter or my my feed's filled with funny stuff cuz i want to laugh there's too much to cry about right now so <laughs> my deal is i fill my facebook it's going to be funny you are not going to see a lot of serious stuff but this is a very important question that you just asked the problem is i just don't think the church has been equipped to do it mm-hmm. i don't think they've been taught that this is how we think this is how prisoners think this is this to, to i give you an example um i was at taft at the camp prison i finally worked my way down to a camp <laughs> to the camp right no fences Guards are kind of wandering around haphazard. If you take off, you get another five years. Okay, I'm not going anywhere. I want to go home. The, 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 I got kind of put in charge of arranging religious services because I'd done it for so many years at other institutions. And this was a brand new prison. It was a prison for profit run by a private company. 
you know, all this kind of stuff. So this is, it's the wild, wild west right there because the Bureau of Prisons isn't trying to help this this private company get more contracts and take away their, their, their prestige of running all the prisons. But this is run by a company. And so the chaplain there said, hey, you know, what, what, how do we do this? How do we make this work? And I said, well, you know, don't start with a beginner's class, you know, for, for new Christians or never call it a beginner's class. Let's call it systematic theology so they, so they don't feel like babies going in there. And then let's teach them systematically the theology of God, you know, real classes as opposed to, all right, fill in this book and then you'll get a certificate. All right. This is a book that we have. You watch this videotape. All right, guys did that, but like 10 or 15 would go to that. I'd have 50 people in a class, all right, wanting to learn systematic theology and hermeneutics. How, how do we actually understand to take apart the word of God? So you go in there treating them like they're adults, not like children, okay? And, and you get the things that are most important about God, like how do I know I'm saved? <laughs> that's like number one on everybody am i really saved so i took first corinthians 15 verses 1 through 11 where paul says it was the gospel by which you're saved these are the things you must believe in order to be saved and i took that as a as a as checklist of things and i would ask him do you believe that jesus died on the cross according to the scriptures yeah okay which scriptures well it says in romans romans wasn't written <laughs> it wasn't codified at that point so it had to be an Old Testament scripture. So, and then do you believe that he was resurrected on the third day according to the scriptures? And and all the time working through this of step by step, do you believe that he appeared to all these people that knew him before? You know, because that's pretty important because these people were, were people who knew Jesus beforehand. And I would give the example, if I go to the darkest part of Africa and I show up and I say, my name is Tupac and I'm risen from the dead, they're going to go, that's cool, Tupac, but I'm not Tupac. They didn't know Tupac. They don't know who Tupac is, but these people knew it, and they never denied him. That was the beauty of it, even though they were being tortured and killed and murdered. So do you believe all these things? And then, yeah, okay, well, you believe those things, you're saved, partner, all right? Now let's talk about how to live your life. So we would walk through that, but it was more of a, a class setting. I would put scriptures on a whiteboard assign them to different people to read. They got involved. They were involved in the class. They had to read next. If somebody didn't want to read or couldn't read, no problem. We'd have somebody else do it. But treat them like adults. Treat, treat them like they really are your brothers and they're not the redheaded stepchild of, of, of Christianity. That was, that's what I would be telling. That's what I would be saying. Hey, look, let me help you put that together. But I'm going to tell you, Edgar, no one in any church that I have attended has ever asked me for help with that. Mm. Not one time, because we have these programs. Look, we have a program from this company or that company and this and that. And our pastor, who's been in church his entire life, who has never gone to prison, has written this great book about prison and we'll do that. And I'm thinking just what kind of special ridiculous are you bringing to me? You got a guy who's more than willing. I don't wanna be put on staff. I don't wanna be paid. Let me help for goodness sakes. And that's my first time being asked that question. And I think it's a brilliant question. I'm not trying to be egotistical that I know everything about, but I can tell you what guys are thinking because I was thinking it for over 15 years. Even when I got out, I was still kind of, <laughs> just, yeah, don't, don't, 
don't get so close to my face, okay, guys? <laughs> and no, I don't want to hug you. And no, I'm not a bad guy. I just am not used to embracing other people. So there's just these things that, that they could learn from that. And, and if they would, they got a guy right here. And I'd be willing to do it. Good. I'm going to ask you another question that wants to come out and play. Um, there was, and this has happened more than once, um, there was a, a father who was in prison and he had a young son. I'm going to say probably four, three is four. Kind of hard to tell for me to tell at that age. But that, you know, young child, not quite toddler. Um, and I let him know that he, as a father, is God's first solution. He's plan A, regardless of what he's been through in life, that he can't sidestep being a father. He just can't. You know, that's just a special role that God has given. If you heard that, what thoughts would you add to that or how would you modify that for, for, for men who have children? The thing that, that I talked about a lot was the idea that when, when some of us come to God, uh, we think of him, we're told, you know, God is your father, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what if you had a really bad father? Yeah. Or what if you didn't have a father? What attributes are you going to put on to God that are, are the result of your earthly father? You know, I had, I had a good dad. Don't get me wrong. Okay, I'm, I'm not criticizing my dad. Uh, they, they did everything they could possibly do with me. <laughs> it was just not in the, not in the cards, partner. But the, the, the thing was, if you can impress upon an individual that their child's relationship with God is likely to be based on their relationship with you while it does increase the pressure on the person it also gives them a way to move forward when they want to get angry with a, a boisterous child you hold back okay <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna think god gets mad every time you're upset you know and starts yelling at you or smacks you or do, do something like that right but that's one hand on the other hand but what about if they didn't have a father in the household yeah are they gonna think god is absent because, you know, the, the old, this, this teaching of God can't look on sin. Well, here's my response to that, all right? Here's my response. If he couldn't look on sin, then he was down there groping blindly to find me because I was deep in it when he came and got me, all right? So this, uh, he can't look on sin. What are you talking about? So the, the idea of an absent father or a bad father, okay? That's, that's the thing. So that, that makes me want to be a better father. That makes me want to be mm -hmm. uh, more trans. When I got out, our youngest was a teenager. He was like 16, 17, 16. Oh. And I mean, he'd been in there. I've been there a long time. He came to visit me for a while, all that kind of stuff. But um, reestablishing a relationship, you know, he's thinking this tough guy's coming out of prison. And he's going to be this, that, and the other thing. And, and what he saw in my behavior was, yeah, there were still some rough spots, you know. I could tell you stories about rough spots, but he and I bonded over those rough spots when I would confess to him and say, look, I'm just trying to figure this out, son. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just, show me, talk to me, you know, being humble, being you know, willing to learn. Because I, when I went in, I was a guy of the 80s and I'm coming out in 2007 and it's like, what is it, a cell phone, internet, video games? Well, what is all this? 
you know, I told my wife, I don't want a cell phone. I don't want people tracking me and following me around. Why would I want a cell phone? I, I go on this rant about cell phones, right? She says, well, because for 15 years, you had to call me. It'll be nice for me to be able to call you once in a while. And it's like, you know, smack upside of the head. Yeah, okay, all right. Maybe I'm just a little self-centered. This, this saved Mike Savage might have been just way self-centered when he rolled out of prison. So as a father, it was a matter of being transparent and, and admitting, you know, I don't have any idea how to, I've never gotten out of prison before, son. And I, so I kind of need a little guidance here. And that's how it re restored our relationship. But explaining God as father and not putting the attributes of your own dad onto him is, is enormously helpful. That helped a lot of guys simply mm. because of the fact they grew up without a dad or their dad was oh, yeah. in prison, you know, so. That's something that we've been talking about, about this, this necessity to understand who God is in completion, not just the Old Testament, just the New Testament, not drawing lines as if it's two different gods, but really fully understanding who God is in, in totality, because you hit the nail, you hit the nail directly on the head. If you didn't have a dad that was around reconciling the idea of an all knowing creator dad, it's pretty scary. Yeah. And it's not something that's easily, easily digestible. You know, that's what, for me, it took, it took Jesus, the like meeting Jesus for the first time for me to reconcile this whole thing. And then from there, started to learn about God the Father and yeah. actually understanding that portion of it. Yeah, I mean, Luther wrote about and talked about the idea of, of God being, he viewed God while he was a monk as being this person hanging a sword over his head, ready to visit his vengeance on him with the least transgression, right? Where do you get that idea? Well, he got that idea because his dad was a strict authoritarian person mm -hmm. who was very angry with Martin Luther when he became a priest instead of a lawyer. So his attribute of God the Father is, I got to do exactly what he says or he's going to be mad and I'm going to get punished. Right, right. Um, you know, we, we've commonly said on the show that a great many things of this world may be cured with a little bit of intimacy with God. And exchanging out things like principle living, prosperity, those kinds of false gospels for real intimate relationship with the Father. Because, you know, there's, it's not flowery language to take up space in, in a book. It, it's legit when the Bible calls us part of the family. Yeah, we're adopted into the family with all the rights and all the things of a, of a, of a full-born son, daughter, into, into the kingdom, into the family. And that is staggering if you take two minutes to contemplate what that really means. The guy who you read about in Genesis saying, yeah, you know what? Um, today, let's separate the waters and do that. And it happens. All right? He can separate. I don't know anybody that can separate waters. Right? I don't know anybody that can create anything. Now, they can recreate or they can change the form of energy and mass and all that, but trying to create something new, something that hasn't existed before, our, our God does that. And he could have just as easily when Adam, I mean, I'm thinking, look, I'm God, right? And Ad, I've told Adam, look, there's two rules, right? Just follow the two rules. Everything's going to be fine. And he doesn't do it. And I can 
do whatever I want. Man, I'm smashing that and starting again. You know, we'll just reform the clay. Come here, come here, come here. I'll reform the clay. We'll do it. But he didn't. Instead, he said, I'll, I'll get you back. I'll bring you back because I love you that much. That is staggering to me. That, yeah. that That's the truth. He could have started all over again. And he chose not to. Said he took the, the long, long play, the long game. He played that long game. And Jesus comes. And everybody's surprised, even though it's been written about in the Old Testament. Everybody says, oh, how could this? Well, the Holy Spirit comes and he says, okay, let me do some explaining here. And he does. And people give their lives to God because of that. They Literally, Peter hung upside down on a cross, right? All these other people tortured, all everything. To, they wouldn't deny Christ. Right. And think about that. No one who saw the risen Christ ever denied him. And there's usually somebody says, well, what about Judas? Judas was dead, all right? Judas was dead. He was gone. But the, right. the, the point, this is it's amazing to me. I mean, I, that is absolute total faith. Not one person ever denied him that actually saw the risen Christ. How amazing is that? Yeah, that's it. It's those kinds of facts. You know, being of scientific mind myself, I believe in numbers. I believe in, uh, I believe in tangible things. And so... I started doing all of that due diligence of, okay, so this book makes a lot of claims. What, let's, let's look into that. And then when you keep going down that path and you're like, oh, I got it this time. And then you're like, mm, nope, nope, there's this evidence, there's this. That's why it boggles my mind when you hear people try to speak out of a place like you cannot have any evidence behind Jesus, behind God, behind the validity of the Bible. Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is, is, is research in the right spot and you're going to find out what's going on. I mean, just look at the facts. I mean, just yeah. look at, not one person denied him. I mean, not one. And they had nothing to, they had nothing to gain. By oh, they, no, they, no, they would have nothing, gained everything. They yeah, could have stayed alive. Yeah. The Romans would have said, oh, yeah, let's give them some money. for. You know, oh, thank you for coming forward. Here's your reward right. for doing that. But no one did that. Right. I mean, and, and then the, the scriptures and what they point to, uh, we, we learn the earth is round from Isaiah, he who sits above the sphere of the earth. Uh, we learn about pathways in the sea written by a guy who's in a desert, never been close to an ocean in his life. We learn about bacteria from... Uh, Leviticus, wash your hands when you come into contact with a dead person. Right. And, and in the 1800s, the doctor that comes up with that says, hey, wait a second, let's wash our hands. And we cut the mortality rate at the hospital. He's drummed out when he explains to him how he figured it out. I read the Bible. Oh, no, no, no. Out you go, you pariah. But all the, the Bible has always been ahead of science. Yeah. Always been ahead of science. I'm kind of a fan of, of numbers too, but I, I, I don't do well with linear math. You know, I, I, I can't balance a checkbook. Um, to me, linear math is, is voodoo, all right? So my wife handles all the money, but I can do statistics because they're right, patterns. <laughs> yes, I thought you said you're going to be able to do some string theory or quantum physics. Yes, sir. <laughs> and, as, and as a matter of fact, that's my hobby is, is quantum physics. And I, I picked that up in, in, um, in prison when I discovered that the, the idea of patterns and, and this whole, the quantum world doesn't behave the same way as it does in the, in the macro world that we see around us. You, all the plotting that we learned about, 
was, was disproven in the 1920s, but they continue to teach it because it's easy to understand, even though it's wrong. So when, it, when I got into that and I began to see how God could be working down below in the, the micro level, now I go back and I can understand how Jesus could be here and then there. I understand how miracles can occur because God's manipulating all the things that he created. Yeah, you reminded me, and I wish I could remember the term for it. They did it in an Excel spreadsheet and they created this little pattern. And every time you zero in on the micro pattern, it reveals another micro pattern. So the more you go in, the more infinite it is. So it doesn't come to an end. So I thought that was huge. And I forget what it's called. But. Uh, they got me when they said when two particles collide, they produce more weighted matter than the individual particles weighed before colliding. Mm. Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> Which verse this is a, that? Pardon me? Which verse was that? I don't know about the verse. No, this is a, oh. a, a quantum physics. This is where oh. two two particles come together and where they bust into parts, then all of a sudden here's the other one that got me. And now that you it's this is your fault, Edgar, for, for getting me on this. <laughs> I pattern. get blamed for a lot on this show. So all right, good. All right. I've you noticed right I've in. noticed you do get a lot of <laughs> a lot of grief on here. All right, so here here's the deal. I'm I'm going through the quantum physics stuff and I'm looking at uh, the only constant is light. Light moves at 186,000 miles per hour per second, second. All right, fine, great. No matter how fast you're traveling forward towards it, it is still moving at exactly the same rate. It won't decrease or increase. It never changes. It, it and so, I, now here's, here's my weird pattern thinking mind. Um, this light is the only thing that's constant. E equals MC squared, okay. C is the designation for light, like mm. in Christ. So when I start seeing that he's the light of the world, then I go back into Genesis and I see where God calls this light into his creation. Doesn't create the light, calls it. He says, let there be light. And this is a, a Hebrew calling into it. He called it into to, to, to his existence well before the sun, the moon, and the stars. Yes. Well before. Now, Every, that's fascinating, right? But what I'm wondering when I'm reading this is where did that light go? If he called it into existence from somewhere else, brought it in, it never says on it and he took off. No, okay, you can be gone. I got everything else now with the sun, moon, and the stars. And he sent the light away. But there was light in all of this creation. So I'm thinking this constant, I'm thinking Christ, and, and I know this is wild, weird, you know, but you know, Edgar brings it out in people, right? That's just, the, it brings out the weirdness and stuff. But then I was reading in Genesis where it was evening and morning, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth day, each one ends, but the seventh day never ends. There's never evening and morning the seventh day. Oh, that's good. So yeah. the Sabbath rest now makes sense to me from Hebrews we've been called into his rest. I think you just made some wreck some people's world. I don't know. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but go back and look. It never ends. So that would mean the no, Sabbath it, never ended. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And so you think, well, maybe the writer made a mistake. Maybe something got left out somewhere. But all <laughs> of these scriptures have been checked, double checked. The Jews were very meticulous in how they copied yes. the Torah meticulous and so i know not nah, they didn't just drop it or leave it out it's not a yeah there actually was the end of a seventh day no it never ends which means the sabbath never ended which means we are in his sabbath rest and now hebrews begins to make sense to me okay 
we enter his Sabbath rest when we're saved because what do you got to worry about? Everything you do, you do unto God. And that's the only thing you can do on the Sabbath is serve God, you know? Yeah. And so if you're serving God by taking care of your kids, that's cool. Or cooking dinner for your wife because she cooks during the week or wife's cooking for the husband because you, you're doing it unto the Lord. So everything that we do should be dedicated to God. You know, if I'm teaching psychology to, to uh, Christians and, and, you know, usually they're a little nervous because they think I'm going to use the F word a lot, you know, <laughs> Freud, you know, they're all worried about, oh, he's going to talk about Freud. But instead I'm explaining that we're called to renew your mind, right? In scripture, Romans supposed to renew your mind, the renewing right. of the mind. Wouldn't it be helpful if we understood how the mind works, how God created the mind? Wouldn't that help us in understanding why am I struggling in this area? Yeah, it would definitely explain a lot of things. It's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> it's helpful, but that's I, that's a ramble. It's a rant. Uh, again, Edgar takes full responsibility, and you can edit all this out whenever you like. I do. Don't leave well, it in. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the beauty of science, because the further you look down the rabbit hole of science, the closer that you get to scripture. You know, you look at you look at like-minded concepts or, or like concepts just worded differently. You're like, oh, wait, this thing from the Bible, that sounds a lot like this scientific practice over here. And oh it's it, it's why it's it's maddening to see Christians that are like science, bad, God, good. No, God created it all, including science. Yeah, you know, I'm good with the people who say science is bad and all that. I, I, that's cool. I, you know, I get it. And, and then I usually ask them, you know, what do you know about science? What do you know about psychology? Other than what you've, you know, watched on Criminal Minds on TV for 12 years or whatever. Other than that. Right. <laughs> what do you know? It's like asking what they know about medicine by watching House or, or you know, that type of thing. Right. And it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's fine. It's okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not out here to crush my brother and sister. I'm out here to try and help them. And and if they don't want to be helped, I'm good with that. Because there's plenty of other people that that will reach out and, and can use that help. And and maybe their way to God is anti-science. Okay. Well, if that's anti-science, that's fine. Do whatever you want. As long as you believe the same gospel I do, we can fight and argue and do all that kind of stuff. Still be brothers and sisters. I never had a bunch of brothers and sisters. My my wife though has eight brothers and sisters big wow. italian family you know and i when i met them for the first time there's the wives and the ex-wives and the husbands and ex-husbands and grandkids and great grandkids i feel like i'm walking into you know a scene the wedding scene from the godfather you know it's just i because I, I pretty much raised an only child you know i'm just kind of and so i'm i got my back to the wall i'm deep into crime and i got I still got my back to the wall <laughs> trying to figure out this chaos of this big family and they would, they would argue and fight. They'd bring up stuff from years ago when they were kids. You remember when you pushed me off the couch? Right? All this petty stuff from these adults. But the thing was, if somebody said something against one of them, the whole clan came out against that, that person and supported mm -hmm. the family member. And I'm good with that. You know, yeah. Somebody mm -hmm. who's anti-science or anti-Mike Savage or anti-prisoners being said, ah, that's fine. But understand that when you need my help, I'm there regardless what you said, tried to do, said something mean about me on Facebook, oh my, you know, all that stuff. I, I'm still there for my family, regardless of how they treat me. That is literally the gospel. You know, that is a, 
an, an embodiment of Matthew 5 through 7, that inverse kingdom value system that Jesus talks about that is the exact opposite of what the world says to do. Right. I don't, I don't have any enemies that I know of. You know, is it one of the, not in the Christian faith. I mean, you know, there's there's people, but I mean, the 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 deal is, in the, in the Christian faith, we're family, right. and I'm gonna I'm gonna treat you like family. If I think you're out of line, I and if you if I'm out of line, I expect you to do the same thing, and we can fight. I we would get in arguments in prison. Oh my, I'm offended by what you said, and I say offended. What do you mean offended? We're in jail, dude. What do you mean offended? <laughs> you can't be offended in here. But they'd get offended or I'd get offended and we'd argue. We were arguing Calvinism and we Arminianism and Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism. We're arguing all these things. But at the end of the day, we're going to the chow hall. We're going to eat. We're going to play softball, do something like that. Go to the weight pile. lift. Regardless. But we could get loud. You know, we could get a little loud at times, but it was fun. So I, I'm getting the, the idea that between, the difference between getting along and not getting along is calorie burn. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, the one thing that I did learn that I think should really all, always be used, if we're going to meet, we're going to eat. And, mm. and I think we should be able to eat during service. I think that would make things much more, pardon the pun, palatable for me at times. Just, you know, I, I have trouble, and I'm, I'm going to confess this to you, my brothers, because I'm supposed to confess things one to another, right? I don't like Christian elevator music. And so when it starts with the worship thing, it's going over and over and over and over. And we would have groups come in and do that. And I would always lean over like there were these people were being programmed. And I say, okay, bark like a dog. You know, somebody they're laughing like we're being programmed by this music that just they wouldn't stop <laughs> playing. So <laughs> I just can't get to do that. Uh, trouble, trouble with that. Yeah, I, I hate to say this, but Joe told me that and I got you the box CD of Christian Elevator music. <laughs> it's 15 CDs. I got it in the clearance bin. Oh, so, it's over and over. We love Jesus. I know, yeah, we all love Jesus. Now stop playing the song. Let's sit down. <laughs> I have a question for you. Um, I heard this, and I don't know if Joe's going to get to it later, but I'm going to do it now anyway. So you and I have something in common. From what I understand, now you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong. You wrote a book. I wrote a book, and it was a huge non-bestseller. Um, so you wrote a book. Do you want to share about it? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a memoir. Um, which, you know, it's kind of hard to put much humor into and, you know, especially when it has it with prison and stuff like that, but it, it started out, you know, and this, this was, uh, let me explain to you how I got to write the book. I was in the process of finishing up my PhD in psychology and I was teaching uh, full time. And I was also working for a college in California that required me to fly from Texas to California twice a month to get things done. Right. And mm -hmm. Vice president. Type thing. All right. So God is impressing upon me, write a book. Okay, because he and I have a prayer life where I speak out loud and then I listen and I do it around the house. I do it outside. I've had neighbors say, are you talking to me? No, I'm talking. No, no, I'm just thinking out loud because you don't want to admit you're talking to God. Right. And I'll walk around the house talking to myself and God and all this stuff. And my parole officer had said I should write a book. My wife said I should write a book. Now, there's a testimony of two or three witnesses. Right. I should have written a book. Right. And I told God, he says, write the book. I, said, I don't have time. I said, I seriously look at the life you've given me 
you know, like I'm trying to blame him. You know, look at the life you've given me. I cannot. I've heard something similar like <laughs> in Genesis. Yeah, we could probably rhyme that and make that into a Christian elevator song. At any rate, the, the, the deal was, I said, I just don't have time. Seriously, I'm in the middle of this dissertation. I'm doing the, the statistical analysis. And Hurricane Harvey comes and hits just a few miles away, tears up the yard, house, all this kind of stuff, right? So I now have three months of rebuilding the house. Uh, and, and you know, I'm not Joseph. I'm not this great carpenter. So you hire people to do it and deal with insurance companies. Well, I suddenly had three months to write this book. So I'm not saying the hurricane came because I was disobedient to God. I'm just saying to others out there, if God tells you to do something, do something. All right. But that's why so I got three months. Write the book. I send it off to an editor. Editor says, you're too preachy here. This is a memoir. This isn't a self-help book. Take all this stuff out. And she was right. Took it all out. Hmm. So about six months later, uh, Prisoner's Perspective, the redemption of a criminal mastermind is done and goes out. And I am expecting, since God had me write it, there's going to be churches beating down the door to have an ex-con come in and talk about being saved and having his wife stay with him through 15 years of prison, even though she didn't know that he was in crime when he got busted. I'm thinking seminars. I'm thinking there's going to, I'm going to get invited to speak at all these places. Look at memoir. This is me. Look at what happened. See, look, I have bared my soul to the universe just as God wanted me to. And nothing happened. Nothing. I mean, it was like nothing. And, and, I was I was so disappointed over the fact that it wasn't received. I mean, I've got 25 reviews, which is nice, but I'm like one billionth memoirs and maybe like, you know, half a billionth in, in crime and, and true stories. So I mean, nobody really bought the book. And then I realized that there are a lot of Christian books out there and not a lot of them are bestsellers. I get that, but I wrote it. It's out there. Um, I was obedient to do that. Um, and, and so... No, it hasn't been a bestseller, but it does, it does talk about how God got me. And when I didn't know that I was worthy of being gotten, you know, I certainly wasn't worthy. And it started out as an homage to my wife who stayed with me mm. and, and never wavered, never very, she, even when I'll tell you how much she didn't waver or vary. Um, she said she wanted me to, to make sure and call her every night. You know, after she got home from work, I was supposed to call her to let her know that I was okay. Right. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Okay, but I have to pay for those phone calls. And so she would send me $20 every week to put on the phone so that I could I could call her every night. Now, sometimes it'd be for one minute, sometimes it'd be for five minutes, but just to let her know that I was okay. Well, my parents get sick. She and our youngest son has to move in with them, help take care of them. It shared finances. You know, there was trouble in California at that time for registered nurses trying to, to find jobs, all this kind of, but they move in, share finances. The first weekend that she's there, and I'm thrilled that she's doing it and she's happy to be there. So uh, first weekend I call, I said, how's it going? And she said, well, your parents are crazy. And I said, well, yeah, take a look at their progeny. You know, of course they're crazy. And, and you know, I'm making a joke out of it. And, and uh, Holy Spirit says, it's not funny, keep pushing. Mm. I'm thinking this time, I don't want to keep pushing because I don't, I don't have a good feeling about this. 
Well, she always sent me the 20 bucks and she said, they, the thing about your parents is they go to the grocery store and buy food before they pay bills. And sometimes there's not enough money for the bills, but they buy food first. And I said, of course, that's the way it's always been. You know, you get food first, make sure the family's okay. And then bill's late, the bill's late. You pay the late fee or whatever, and that's it. You know, we're about credit scores and all this kind of stuff. And I said, <laughs> It's not like you ever went without food because you're always sending me $20 every week to, to, to put on the, on the phone. So come on. And there's this silence. Just total silence. And my heart just falls right into my stomach. And I said, have you gone without food? What about Jesse, our youngest? No, he's always been fed. I made sure he was fed, but sometimes they're wasn't enough food for me to eat too so uh, yeah go without just like a matter of fact thing i said you sent me twenty dollars you could have used that for food she says it's more important that i know that you're okay than for me to eat you need to understand mm. that join us next week for part two of this amazing conversation as always know that you are prayed for you are loved be blessed and we'll see you next week thanks for tuning in to buddy walk with jesus for more information, check us out at BuddyWalkWithJesus.com. Look for us on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. You can also find us on Discord at the Buddy Walk Community for prayer and fellowship. And lastly, if you check out the episode description, we have a listener support link and we would love your support for this ministry. As always, know that you are prayed for and know that you are loved.